Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, happy anniversary. If you've got your Bibles, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at two verses, just two verses today, verses 27 and 28b. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28b. I'll tell you what, let's stand as we read the Word of God in honor of the God who has spoken this. <clears throat> Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Let's pray. Father, we praise you again. Um, We have been able to come together week after week um, for the past four years, and you have proven yourself to be faithful, just as we sang just a second ago. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you've never left us uh, in the past. You've never forsaken us. You've always been with us, and you always will be. So I ask that this morning, as we are reminded of your faithfulness, that you would strengthen us, that you would unite us together, as one people in this, under the, the name of Jesus in the Spirit of Christ, I ask that you would help us to fearlessly defend and advance the gospel. And uh, Lord, your word is powerful, so I pray that you would, by your Spirit, cause it to do what you desire to do in our hearts. Help us to have ears to hear and transform us this morning by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, You know, with this week being marking our four-year anniversary, I spent a little bit of time kind of looking back over the past four years and reminiscing. And, you know, you got to be careful when you look back, don't you? Because if you're not careful, you could get stuck in the past. But it is good from time to time to look back at where God has brought us from, to look back and see how God has been faithful in our joys and in our sorrows. And one of the questions that I've been asking myself, and I want you to ask yourself this this morning, think back to 2016. Where were you in 2016? Um, What was going on in your world? There's a lot of things that I had forgotten about that were going on in 2016 on October 23rd when we launched. Number one is I forgot that uh, Barack Obama was still the president. And just a couple of weeks later, Donald Trump literally shocked the world in one of the most significant presidential upsets in history. The, uh, in 2016, the top box office movie, you know what it was? I couldn't believe this. Finding Dora. Dory. <laughs> Dory. Okay, I don't, okay, obviously I didn't watch it. Followed by Rogue One, and Captain America came in third. Um, 108 years before 
2016, the Cubs won the World Series, and they won it again. Michael Phelps again captured gold in Rio during the Summer Olympics. You'll remember the Summer Olympics were four years ago. Uh, Brad and Angelina broke up. The housing market was beginning to rebound, and you might remember that well-known individuals like Fidel Castro, Princess Leah, also known as Carrie Fisher, Prince, Muhammad Ali, Nancy Reagan, and Arnold Palmer all died in 2016 and entered into eternity. Um, and one thing I had forgotten is that in 2016, Kobe Bryant retired from the NBA. And that's an amazing thing to think back to where we are today. But one of the most uh, amazing and significant things that I think about when I think about 2016 is I've come to the realization that, you know what, most of us did not know each other for years ago. That's pretty amazing that God in his kindness, uh, his loving kindness and his loving providence has brought us together at this time in this point of history to be a local body, a local church here in Asheville, North Carolina. And we have come together to enjoy and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with one another and to the world and to live on mission in community with one another. And you know, like I said earlier, a lot has changed since 2016, but there's one thing that hasn't, and that's our God. Our God has not changed. He has stayed constant. He has not wavered, and he has a mission. And that mission is the same yesterday as it is today. And we have a mission statement that we have for our church that we have uh, hope will reflect his mission. And I want you to look up at the screen and read it with me. Changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. Now, if you've been with us from the beginning, you realize that there's a word that's been added to that mission statement, which is, what's the word? Being. But actually, it's always been in there. It's just been implied. Because we're not called to, to make, grow, and unleash something that we're not. So the first thing you have to make sure is that you're being a disciple of Jesus. And that's been uh, our mission from the beginning. That's been God's mission from the beginning. And that's what our mission want, needs to be as we continue to move forward as a church. But going back to the question about where were you four years ago compared to where you are today, let me ask you this. Are you in the same place? Or, as a disciple of Jesus, have you grown? And what I mean by that is, are you more passionate about the gospel? Have you grown in your understanding of a deeper knowledge of what Jesus has done, what God has done? Have you become a more, I guess, uh, a more mature disciple compared to who you were back in 2016? Well, the, the answer to that, the truth of that of this answer actually depends on a statement I want uh, Georgiana to put up on the screen. We are who we are today because of the collective choices we made yesterday. I'm going to read that again. We are who we are today because of the collective choices that we made yesterday. In other words, this is a biblical principle. You reap what you what? 
you reap what you sow. So we're reaping today in 2020. You're reaping today in 2020, whatever you sowed back in 2016. And if the Lord should tarry, I have been asking myself this question as a disciple and as a pastor of, of Reach Life Church. Where do I, where do we want to be as a church, as individuals, as, as the collective body of, of the church in four years, if the Lord should tarry? And the next question is, what do we need to do to get there if we're going to be what we want to be in the future? Well, in today's passage, the Apostle Paul in Philippians shares with us the answer to that question. He gives, he gives us these mile markers in our passage to help us determine if we are on the right path, if we're heading in the right direction. And when Paul wrote this, epi- this epistle, when he wrote this letter to the church, it's important to understand that he was, a, uh, was in a Roman prison. He had been arrested and was in a prison. And it's extremely clear if you read chapter 1, from chapter 1, well, actually the whole book. But if you start in chapter 1, it's very clear that he missed the church. He missed being able to physically be with the church. And for the first half of the letter, he says things like this. He says, um, you know what? Every single time you enter my mind, I thank God for you. It causes me to to thank God for you. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, I hold you in my heart. My heart. And then in verse 8, he says, for God is my witness. Now, when you say, for God is my witness, what are you saying? I'm not lying. I'm not, I may have been lying about everything else, but I'm not lying about this, right? For God is my witness, how I, and this is a strong word, I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus yearns for his people. And Christ Jesus was in Paul, producing this yearning, for the body. But you know what? Although Paul longed to be with the church, the only reason he wasn't with them was because he couldn't be. And he wrote this letter in order not only to express his affections, but also to show them how they should be living in light of the gospel as a church. So as we are seeking to answer the the question, what kind of disciples, what kind of church do we want to be in four years if the Lord tarries and allows us to be alive? Uh, I want to look at our passage, and, and I want to start by looking at the first 13 words of our passage. Verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It starts with the word, only. And what Paul is saying there, he's saying, I'm longing, I'm longing to be with you. But whether I get to be there or not, there's one thing, there's only one thing. Above all, there's one thing I want to make sure is true about you. And and that is that you let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that phrase, that that, uh, phrase, let your manner of life be, In the Greek, that is one word that uh, means to be a citizen. And I love how the New Living Translation translates it. It says, you must live as citizens of heaven. That's what what Paul is trying to convey in uh, in using that word. Uh, And he's wanting us to think in terms of citizenship, 
that as we are living in this world, we are living as citizens. We are living as one of Pastor Terry's favorite words, as ambassadors to the world that he's, he's put us in. How? In a manner that is worthy or suitable of the gospel of Christ. So we are to, at the very beginning of verse 27, he's showing us that as we're living, we should be living in a way that shows what the kingdom of heaven looks like, how the kingdom of heaven's citizens live. In other words, no matter whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you talk, whether you walk, do not live, he's telling the church, do not live as Philippians, earthly Philippians, or to us, do not live like Americans. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Live lives that represent your true homeland. And so that's how he begins uh, showing us how we ought to live, but he doesn't stop there. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. What does he want to hear? I may hear of you that you are, number one, standing firm. Number two, striving side by side for the gospel, faith of the gospel. And number three, what? Not frightened. Thank you, Bobby. And not... One person awake in here, not frightened in anything by your opponents. So those are the three main gospel truths that we're going to unpack in, in the next few minutes as we go through this uh, passage. So standing firm. When we are standing firm, this is a, a defensive posture to stand firm. It's, it elicits the image of an army that is prepared as they are seeing the enemy coming towards them. They are standing firm. They are unyielding. They are unmovable. And so we want to, Paul says, you need to be standing firm. You need to be able to defend the faith. And defending the faith requires two things. It requires knowledge and it requires discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Now, if you look at Philippians 1 verse 9, just a few verses up, Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And you know, every week when we come together and we sing the gospel and we talk with one another, one of the biggest things that we want to do is we want to make opening God's word and expositing it or bringing out the truth that is in God's word. We want to come together and be able to make that one of our top priorities in order that we might be able to defend the truth. And one of our goals is to make it clear and to make it simple to be understood. Why? So that we can live it. So what we're doing right now is we are coming together to stand firm in the truth. We're also doing this, Steve mentioned this earlier, about our MCs. During our MCs, we have been taking the time to look at cults and the false gospels that they preach. And one of the things that we're learning is that cults use the same words that we use. They use Jesus, they use salvation, they, they use um, other words like that. And the thing is, though, they mean different things than we do. But the only way that we know this 
is if we are in the Word of God and we are learning with more knowledge and discernment. And I just want to let you know that this Tuesday night, if you're interested in learning more about cults and false gospels and how to interact or defend against them, we're meeting here in this room at 6.30. You, you will want to join us if you're interested in doing that. So in order to stand firm, we need to have knowledge and discernment, and we need to know what Jesus said about things. Now, I want to give you a test real quick. I'm going to throw up a, a, a quote up onto the screen. I'm sure that most of us have heard it. Um, if, and I want you to discern, and don't, do not tell me your answer, but I want you to discern whether this is true or false, okay? If you, don't, if you do not first learn to love yourself, you will not be able to love others. How many of you have ever heard this before? If you don't know, learn how to, you got to learn how to love yourself if you're going to learn how to, to love others. That's something that I've heard uh, probably my whole life. And what I did was, I was like, who said that? Who, where did that come from? So I went on the internet. You can do this later. Uh, find out. There's three people that said this. Now, this is not only these three people, but a comedian, a monk, a Buddhist monk, and a prosperity gospel preacher uh, said this. Lucille Ball, the Dalai Lama, Lama and <laughs> the Dalai Lama, and Joel Olstein. Now, just because they said this does not make it false, all right? That does, I'm not, that's not the point I'm making here. The point I'm making is, is it true or not? So I asked who said it, and then I asked this question. Did Jesus say this? That, that's the question we need to, to ask in everything. There's so many, we all like to post quotes. I know, I watch, I'm, I do it, we post quotes. The, before you post something, you need to ask, does this align with Jesus? Does this align with what he says? And uh, th did he say anything that resembles that we need to learn to love ourselves before we will, can love others? Because that really does sound good uh, to my ears. I mean, yeah, I need to love myself. How can I give what I don't have? Well, uh, I couldn't find a scripture that, that where Jesus said that, but I did find two scriptures that I want to read and let you be the judge. Jesus says this in Mark 4, 34. If anyone come, would come after me, let him, what? Deny himself. He doesn't say let him love himself. He says let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and gospels will save it. And then there's John 12, 24, and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this is what I want you to see in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And you know, this topic that uh, I'm talking about, this quote, is a standalone message in and of itself. We could spend a lot of time unpacking what, uh, what this means. But what I want us to see here is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not teach that we need to learn to love ourselves. You know, I, I was actually born knowing how to love myself. I didn't have to be taught that how to put myself in front of people or to look out for number one. If you don't believe me, talk to my brother and my sisters. When we were at home and there was a plate and there was one cookie on it and only one of us could have it, 
Uh, I didn't have to ask myself, how do I love myself? Some way, instinctively, I knew that that cookie was mine. I knew it was meant for me, and I knew that I needed to have it. Now, once I ate it, I realized, oh, yeah, now I see how I should have loved you. But then it was too late. So my point is that, that I don't have to learn to love myself. And the gospel teaches uh, that Jesus came actually because we love ourselves more than we love God, and we love ourselves more than we love one another. And so Jesus, the gospel actually teaches that, he, that Jesus came to set us free from ourselves. How? Through his love for us, for us understanding his love for us. And as we receive his love, we are no longer needy to love ourselves. We are loved by Christ. And so what the gospel teaches is to do unto others as Christ has done for you. Love with the love that you have been loved for. And I'm just using that as one example of how we need to know the word of God in order to defend the faith. And the point that Paul is making is is that as we are seeking to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, we have to grow in that ability. And we're going to need to grow in our, our ability to defend the faith. So number one, Paul says, stand firm. Number two, he says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, standing firm is defending the fort. Standing firm is defending the castle, and striving is expanding the borders of the kingdom of Jesus. So you can look at standing firm as being defense and striving as what? Offense. That is the offensive of the kingdom of God. And guess what that means? That means you have to leave the castle. That means we have to go out and get engaged with the culture And uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever been in full-time ministry? All right, we're getting better here. All right, good. Every hand, it's got to go up eventually that, hey, I'm, wherever God has planted me, I'm an ambassador. I am in full-time ministry. So we have to leave the fort, come to the fort, get filled, go out from the fort, and have hand-to-hand combat. Uh, expressing truth in love, getting out of our comfort zones, building relationships, building relationships. Let me say that again, building relationships. The gospel is relational. We want our church to be, God wants our church to be relational. So we want to be a relational church. Um, And that's hard. That's difficult to, to build relationships with people because, you know, number one, I know to some degree how difficult I am to be around. Sometimes I don't want to be around me. And so to be around one another, we have to be sinners around sinners who have uh, understood we have been forgiven, we've been loved by Christ. But it means, striving means that we got to get out of our comfort zone and uh, learn to engage. And want to throw another uh, advertisement out, that if you are wanting to, to grow and sharpen your skills in this area and learn how to graciously and confidently and humbly build relationships, have conversations with those who have yet to come to know Christ, I want to encourage you to come here on Thursday nights because we're going to be meeting here in this room uh, and going through a a tactics course that is designed to help us to learn how to engage with others in love and in wisdom. 
All right, so number one, Paul says, stand firm. Number two, he says, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And number three, in verse 28, he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the past few years, um, the culture that we live in has become increasingly hostile. Have you noticed this? It's become increasingly hostile towards God, uh, towards the gospel, towards Jesus. And, you know, all my life I grew up in the church, and all my life I grew up hearing, you know, one day you could suffer physically for walking with Christ, like they did in the Bible. And I've heard that my whole life. But I'm beginning to see uh, in my latter years that that is becoming a reality in the culture in which we live. And because of that, because of physical harm and things that could happen to us, it could tempt us to fear. Um, But you know what Paul says? Don't give in to that fear. Don't be afraid or frightened by your opponents. Now, why does he say that? Well, one of the first things we need to understand is that fearlessness is not us drumming up inside this inner strength that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to come against me. That's flesh. That is not the spirit of Christ. Uh, but rather, fearlessness is a fruit that is produced by those who, who have abided, aboded, abid, have stayed in the gospel, okay? It is a fruit when you are drenched with the gospel, what Christ has done for you, it produces the lack of fear. And this passage, the opponents that Paul is talking about in Philippi are actual people who were persecuting and they were threatening and they were trying to intimidate the believers. But I believe that this also can include other opponents that are in our own lives that tempt us to fear. How many of you guys are ever tempted to fear anything? Yeah, I think if we're, we're all being honest, we're, we're tempted to fear a lot of things. And I wanted to just give three things that I believe that we need to be aware of as a church, as disciples of Jesus. Number one is the fear of shame. The fear of shame. Um, our reputation, in other words, the fear of losing our reputation among our family, our neighbors, our coworkers and peers, the fear of what others think about us, and um, especially when it comes to us in the way that we relate to Jesus. And one of the things that we need to remember and take to heart is that this world, this world system, I'm not saying the people in the world, but I'm saying the system that is ruled by the evil one is never going to accept Jesus, ever. The book of Revelation makes that clear to us. Until Jesus comes and conquers and puts an end to it, this world is going to be hostile towards true disciples of Jesus who truly are children of God. And one of the tactics that they will use is to shame us. And that's that's probably the tactic that I've seen most in America. It's not the physical one, it's the who I am, my identity. And Jesus says in Luke 9, 26, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Uh, What does it profit a man or a woman if the whole world loves him, thinks they're the best, and they 
lose or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. By the way, the latter part of this verse is one of the ways that we overcome shame or being ashamed of Christ because it's saying if we see his glory, if we see his kingdom, if we see who he is and that we are attached to him, that we are his, I'm not ashamed of that. You're not going to shame me for something that is greater than you. So that, that's one of the, the ways that we overcome that. But we can be have fear to shame. Secondly, we can have fear of losing worldly security. Um, as I've said before, wherever he's got you planted, uh, he's put you there in order to be a representative of his kingdom. And, I, you know, I'm in a unique situation. Amen. I'm in a unique situation. And that is that if I do not preach the gospel, I will get fired. Right? I'm a pastor. I better. You better fire me if I don't preach the gospel. You guys, on the other hand, are in a different situation. If you do preach the gospel, you could lose your job. There are consequences that you could experience for preaching the gospel. You could lose your job, which could affect your home. It could affect your food, clothing, shelter, and earthly benefits. But you know what? I love campfires. Don't you? And that, you know, what's that have to do with anything? Well, I love sitting around campfires, and I, could, I can sit by them by myself, but I love sitting around with people and talking because it brings out our hearts. And I, I picture sometimes, what will it be like in heaven? Will there be a campfire up in heaven or campfires where we get to sit down and we get to talk to, to those who have been before us, those who have laid their lives down? What will it be like to talk to the Apostle Paul? Have you ever thought about that? Listening to him, he's like, oh man, I loved Jesus. He loved me, I knew it, and I loved his church. And you know what? Because I loved his church, because I shared the gospel, because I spread the gospel, it caused me a lot of problems in the world that we were living. And I, uh, I got stoned uh, I got stones thrown at me several times, uh, one time, and they, they thought I was dead. I got beaten with uh, lashes 39 times, five times that, that happened to me, 39 times down my back. He said, you should have seen my back. It was just a big scar. I could barely walk. I, I was crippled because of that. I was thrown in prison. I was shipwrecked, uh, bit by a snake. My countrymen hated me. Uh, even the church at times hated me. But I'll tell you what. It was worth it. It was worth it. And I imagine him turning, you know, to maybe one of us and going, tell me, tell me what it was like for you. Man, I, yeah, I survived 2020. I survived 2020. But man, you know what? They made us wear masks at church. Yeah, yeah, I did. I went through that. And uh, on top of that, I had to listen to James preach. Yeah, I've been through a lot, you know. The point I want to make here is this. What if you did lose your job for preaching the gospel? I knew a, a teacher uh, years ago that we were talking, and she was an elementary school teacher, and we were talking about, she's a Christian, and I was like, man, do you get to share the gospel with the kids? She's like, oh, no, 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 no. I would never do that. I was like, never? She's like, never. I was like, why not? Because I could lose my job. And I thought to myself, 
And, and I was in the ministry too then, so it was, it's easy to preach the gospel for me. But I thought, what, what would it be like if you did lose your job around the campfire, you know, in eternity? You know, the choices that we make today affect where we're going to be tomorrow. But wouldn't that be amazing to be able to share? Yeah, I lost my job because I love people and I shared the gospel. So Paul says, do not be afraid of losing worldly security. Thirdly, and this is probably the greatest fear of man, is the fear of death. The fear of losing our very lives, being put to death for the gospel. And, you know, Paul's like, in, earlier in, the, in this letter, he says, I think I'm going to get out of prison. I'm not sure. But whether I live or die, I want Christ to be honored in my body. I want Christ to be honored in my body. And then verse 21 and 22 are amazing verses. He says this, For to me to live is Christ. What does that mean? It means that, you know, as long as I'm living, I am not living for myself. I'm living for the name of Christ. I'm going to labor for Christ. And to die is gain. He says, I'm going to actually get more by dying. Then verse 22, and this is the one that's, uh, I don't know if I'm here yet. It says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And then this is it. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. You know what he's saying there? He's like, man, I don't know if I want to live or if I want to die. Because either one is going to be, I'm going to be fruitful if I keep living. If I die, it's going to set me free from this body. And so Paul wasn't afraid to die. As a matter of fact, I think he wanted to die, not because he was suicidal, but because he realized that now that he was in Christ, death was actually his friend because in death he would get what he was actually desiring, and that is to be with Jesus, to be with the one who had loved him and gave himself for him. And so he trusted that, you know, when I die, Jesus is going to be on the other side of death waiting for me to receive me into his eternal kingdom. And we sing a song uh, often in Christ alone. One of the verses says this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And you know, when you believe the gospel, when you embrace the gospel and take it in, and when you realize that God loves you, I mean, really realize it. It's not just up here. It's down here in your heart. That death no longer is your enemy because your sins have been forgiven. When you realize that God is for you and that you no longer have to be afraid of the consequences that accompany standing firm in the gospel. When we realize that, we are going to want to strive together and stand firm unafraid in the gospel. Now, I want to show you one last thing in this passage that um, actually binds everything together. If you'll notice that everywhere that there is the word your, you, throughout verses 27 and 28, that is in, that's a plural word. It's like 
you all or y'all or yuns. It's, it's plural. He's not just talking. It's important to understand this. He's not just talking to one person. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to the entire church. It's important to understand that because I think a lot of us don't really take that to heart. Second thing I want you to see here is that he says uh, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in what? One spirit. See that? With one mind. Striving side by side. I'm going to say that again. One spirit, one mind, side by side. What is Paul stressing here? He's stressing unity, the importance of unity. Paul is calling the church to live and to die together as a body. One spirit, one mind, side by side. But you know, unfortunately, I'm afraid that, a, um, that this is a foreign concept to many American believers who would profess to be believers. And we live in a culture where everyone is, is claiming freedom, everyone's claiming independence, but I'm afraid that the church has in many ways adopted an unbiblical worldly mindset. And this is the mindset, and I, I just I want you to hear my heart because it really, I'm heavy for this, especially, uh, I've been heavy for this for years, but it's, especially with this year, it's really shown uh, this to be true. But that somehow, you can be a healthy disciple of Jesus and be disconnected from the body without making unity and fellowship a top priority. An example is when the body of Christ gathers together, many have taken the mindset that that is an optional thing to do. Um, but according to Paul, in this letter, he longed to be with the church in Philippi. But the only reason he wasn't was because he truly couldn't be. It, he wasn't making excuses. He was in chains. He was in jail. For the church. The reason he was there was because of the church who he loved for the gospel. And when members of the body um, who could be with the fellowship consistently choose not to, choose not to, and are okay with it, what it does is it, it reveals an issue. Um, it, it reveals a connection issue. And I would say that that connection is, is not with the body, it's with Christ. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm not saying you're not saved. Uh, to be honest with you, there's times that I have to push past what I want, right, uh, to be a part of what the body is doing. It's, it's not easy for any of us. We all have that struggle. But when, you, but, but when it becomes the norm and you're okay with it, it shows that you're disconnected or there's something blocking that. I, a couple of years ago, I had a a situation where my uh, C7 was bul uh, a bulging disc and it was pressing against some nerves. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it caused my left arm and my left hand to become numb. I, I couldn't, I, actually, I still a little bit can't feel right here. But there's something blocking that. And my arm began to atrophy. 
when that happened because my nerves were being blocked from the head. Now, I want to tell you something. My head was not angry with my hand. It was grieved because I love this hand, right? I love what I can do with this hand when it's functioning properly. And I know what it was costing me when I couldn't. I was still building houses and construction. It was difficult. And, and, and in the same way, I believe that that's what happens when we can be disconnected from the body and it doesn't really matter when we're taking the easy way out. So I just want to just encourage us that, to remind us that unity does not happen by accident. We have to fight for it. And if you're having difficulty connecting with the body, the question I want you to ask is why? Uh, is it because you're like Paul? You long to be with the body, but you can't be because you're literally in a prison that won't allow it? Or are you distracted? Are you being lazy? Are you making excuses? Or are you choosing the path of least resistance, the easy way? And I want you to know that I'm not angry when I, when I talk about these things. Uh, I am concerned, and, and, and I'm concerned for the church. Uh, in America, I'm concerned for our church that we would be a body that values the unity that Paul talks about in this passage. And I want you to know that I'm praying, I'm praying for our body that we would realize that we need each other. Um, just real quick, yesterday I went on a hike with the Rome ministry, and uh, it was amazing. Just I had like three or four conversations that actually encouraged me. I heard where people were struggling in life and what they were doing about it. I heard how people were laying their lives down for other people in our body in order that they could have life. I also uh, heard about how people were in situations where they should be sorrowful and miserable, but the Holy Spirit had been giving them power. And as I was talking, I was like, man, I want to lay my life down more. I want to give more of myself. Because of this testimonies that I was receiving back and forth. It was life-giving to me. The unity of the body, we cannot overlook that. That is so crucial. If, if four years from now, we want to be look back and say, man, the Lord, we were effective. Part of that is going to be the unity of us being together, encouraging one another, fighting past the times when we get on each other's nerves, when we step on each other's toes, when we sin against each other, and we, we are reminded, hey, I need the gospel, so I'm going to give the gospel to you in forgiveness. It is one of those things that we've got to be, we cannot be like the, the culture around us. If you look at the statistics in the United States alone, what I've been told is like 30 to 45% of the church has come back, even when they have the ability to be back. And so I don't want to be crazy. I don't want to act uh, silly about uh, being together. But I do want to let you know that that has been heavy on my heart. And uh, I want us to fight together. God wants us to fight together. Stand united together and fearlessly defend and adv advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? I'm almost done. How do we do that? By having the mind of Christ. By having the mind of Christ. I want you to look at, uh, if you go over to Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul lays it out for us. Look at verse 5. Five, yes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What mind is he talking about? It's found in verse 3. Let's look at that. Do nothing. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Christ did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Didn't Jesus count us more significant than himself? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Look, he, our Savior, our King, our Lord, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. If that is the mind of Christ, if our king died for us, who am I to try to live apart from that or to live for myself? This motivates me. This gives me the desire. This is the power of Christ in us, the gospel, what he did for us. So where will we be in four years? If the Lord tarries and he allows us to all live Well, what we choose today, the choices that we make, will greatly affect that. And I know that when it's all said and done, we are all going to want to stand before the Lord, knowing that that we fearlessly stood together as a church family while defending and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be a church found faithful. Amen? Amen.